Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid comes from Ball Team, your builder of all faith-based construction needs. Learn more at buildwithball.com. Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Good morning. Welcome to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Father P.J., good morning. Good morning, Father. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who made it about St. Benedict, an outstanding master in the school of divine service, grant, we pray, that putting nothing before you, before love of you, we may hasten with a loving heart in the way of your commands. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Believe it or not, Father, St. Benedict is one of the famous saints in these days around the world, especially through the medal and other kind of uh, special prayers, may I say that. Mm -hmm. But let us put in context to our audience the historical moment of St. Benedict at that time. Yeah, so Benedict is born um, uh, in or about 480 in uh, Nursia, in what is now Italy, though they didn't know that yet. Um, and he lives uh, a, a, a good long life, right? He dies um, in, in 547. We're more certain of that date uh, for a number of reasons, um, especially sort of changes in, uh, in Roman government uh, that, that happened in the course of his lifetime. But the, 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 the main thing is, right, that Benedict is, is understood as the father of Western monasticism. Now, the, okay. there, are, there are two important pieces there. He's he's called the father, not the founder. Oh. So monasticism existed centuries before Benedict. He had to learn it from other people himself. In fact, a large part of of what constitutes the rule uh, for which he is most famous, right, is his reflections on like people living monastic life badly. <laughs> so it's his sort of more mature reflections on on this is a particular way of life in the church. It's recognized and validated by the church, but there are good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. The other bit, though, is that he's considered the father of Western monasticism. And this is because uh, monastic life exists in the Christian East. And while the, the lines of what constitute East and West were certainly less clear in his own day, um, Benedict knew Eastern monastics, or what today we would call Eastern monastics, uh, monks that were from further East than he was. And he deliberately chose to organize his life differently. Not because he saw the way they did it as bad, but because he thought that the way of life he was proposing was more livable for more people. Um, and that becomes very, very significant because Benedict is really fundamentally a community man. If we make a clarification in terms about monastic life, mm -hmm. religious life, secular life, and diocesan life like at you and me. So these, are, so, so these are categories that we use now that okay. would have been basically foreign like he wouldn't he wouldn't have known what to do I, with any of I, that i right? know that but the um but the, but but i think it's important for our listeners to catch because the time that benedict is living is when all this stuff first begins to take shape okay. so so uh, basically from the beginning you had christians that were living in what we would think of as secular life a normal life in the world uh, typically married and with families though like anybody who's married like there's a time before you're married and there's a time after your spouse dies and remarriage was very, very regular in the early church. Widows and widowers didn't typically remarry except with permission from the bishop. Um, and so like, even then it's not like everybody was married all the time. 
right? Okay. Um, so, so, but, so you basically had people living in the world. That was the language they would have used for secular. it. Secular. Secular life. That's what the word secular means is in the world, of the world. And then you had people living what they called monastic life. Today, everything we think of as religious life would be part of this. Okay. But, oh. but, but the other forms didn't exist yet. But you, but you basically had this hard divide between people who lived in the world and people who lived in intentionally religious communities uh, or, or as solitaries. Um, and the reason for the word monastic, it comes from the Greek monos, which means alone. And Benedict himself uh, tells us about the origin of the word. He says there's, th- th- there's a twofold meaning. It's a kind of a double entendre. The, the monk both lives alone in the sense that he is very often by himself, but he is first alone with God, or he lives for God alone, so that the sole goal or orientation of his life is ordered toward God. He's playing off of St. Paul here, right? Who, when he's riffing on marriage, says, you know, if you're already married, stay married. Don't leave your wife to go pursue God alone. But if you're not married, maybe think about not getting married because it's going to be easier for you to pursue Christ alone uh, as a single person. What about clergy, uh, secular clergy? So secular clergy are are in a kind of a hybrid state at this point. They definitely lived uh, what, on this on these grounds a secular life. Okay. Though it at the same time this is happening is becoming more and more common for bishops to gather. The, the the celibate priests into a household with themselves. Mm-hmm. So like St. Augustine, who's more or less contemporary, slightly off, but, but we're the same, same basic historical period. That's exactly what he does is when he, when he moves back to, to Hippo, um, he uh, gathers a community around himself of other, of other single men. And, and he lives in a house with, with them. And then his sister lives next door with the girls and, uh, and, and they live what we would think of as religious life. Um, uh, now, over time, this all gets like highly distinguished and there are different kinds. But what Benedict is most concerned with, and, and this is his real kind of contribution to the church, is that monastic life in the East stays largely uh, an era medical affair. It, it, it's very solitary. And so so the the kind of ideal is that of the hermit who only comes together to be with people for sacraments and liturgy or occasionally perhaps for counsel. Whereas Benedict has this experience early on of trying to be a hermit and it doesn't work because too many people are coming to him for advice. So we say to him, monks keep coming and saying, father, we don't know how to do this. Father, we don't know how to do that. Father, we don't know how to, uh, we don't know what to do with this crazy person in the monastery. And, and so he decides the better way to organize this style of life is to put people in communities together on purpose to have them elect their own leader who will serve as the father of the monastery. And then you're not supposed to run around. So monks should not be transferring from monastery to monastery to monastery. They should be staying in one place and doing the work that they've set themselves to do. And this is, this was a very different vision than what, than what came to kind of form in the East. He didn't think that was bad. He just thought where he was, this was going to work better. And over time in the Christian West, it's proved itself. It does tend to work much better uh, than, um, than the aromatic version. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. 
our seminarian Matthew Joel is 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 back with us this week, and Matthew had the great privilege of attending Benedictine College in Atchison uh, near St. Benedict's Abbey. Matthew, what in your time um, there? What what struck you most? Or what do you feel like you learned most or took away best from the monks and from Benedictine spirituality? That's a good question. Thank you, Father and Father Fabian, for welcoming me on. Um, I think so. Benedict has had a particular influence in my life because he's been my confirmation patron or saint. Um, and the Benedictine monks there were also very influential in my life. Uh, I went to them for spiritual direction and they really challenged me in my prayer life. Um, a big thing that they do is called Lexio Divina or praying with scripture in a certain way where you, the kind of the aim is for contemplation with the word of God. Um, and so they really, really challenged me in my prayer life to commit to daily prayer. And that really, that really impacted my life, I think, because my kind of my pursuit of priesthood has been a very gradual process. Um, and something that really stuck out with learning more about St. Benedict's life um, is this poem that one of my choir directors at Benedictine, Dr. Timothy Tharaldson, he put it to song for his doctoral work. Um, and it, the first line of the poem, which I forget who composed the, the poem about St. Benedict's life, but is it's talking about his call out to the desert mm-hmm. and why he went. And the first line is just very simple. And it's, it was love that shook him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really like at first, you know, it didn't strike me too hard, but it's just really kind of percolated over time. And I think people tend to overcomplicate like vocational discernment, or even if you're living out of vocation, like whether it's marriage, priesthood, religious life, um, it's easy to overcomplicate or overthink things. But at the end of the day, kind of where that call or invitation to love is coming from and just the simplicity of it. It's very interesting. And the, the first idea that came to our mind when we're talking about uh, St. Benedict is it discipline, you know, discipline. It's it's what it is. It's not, it's not a debate. It's not questionable that we must be fulfill completely in obedience, God's guidance. And that uh, deeply spirituality is still consistency as until today, you know? So the church from the very beginning has had to deal with this dynamic of um, sort of religious enthusiasm, as yeah. they would have called it in the 19th century, right? So so the the issue is, of course, it's very clear from the Gospels and the Epistles, Christians should look and act different than other people. At the same time, that's not an excuse for erratic or neurotic behavior. Um, it can't be used legitimately as an excuse for, for psychopathology or some other kind of mental illness, right? And even if they didn't have the category of mental illness precisely at the time, Paul writes about people that are clearly just nuts and that he thinks are just nuts and, and, they, and you can do something about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so Benedict is dealing with this because as an alternative lifestyle, which is what monastic life is, is really proposed as, especially initially, um, it has the tendency to attract sort of crazy people. I, I, I lived religious life for 16 years. I, I know about this. Plenty of crazy people in, in religious communities. Really? And, um, <laughs> and it, which is not to say that the lifestyle itself is crazy. Like this is the point, right? And so what Benedict is trying to do in important ways is legitimate and structure this life in the church so that it can be stabilized and healthy, good for the life of the individual who feels drawn to monasticism, but also put the monastic life at the service of the rest of the church. 
So, you know, a, a very important fact about St. Benedict's life that I think is is especially significant later on um, in the in the way that the devotions attached to him become associated with deliverance and exorcism is that St. Benedict was not a priest and he refused priestly orders several times. He, he, he was insistent he was doing a different thing. Could we ask him why? Yeah, well, I, I, lots of people have asked why that are smarter and better <laughs> than me about this. But I, but I think the, the consistent response is that, that Benedict's drive, like his whole focus was around this alternative lifestyle that today we call monasticism. And, and that that is fundamentally a lay movement, like monastic life or religious life is at its root a lay thing. That isn't to say clerics can't be a part of it. But it's rooted in their baptism, not in their ordination. And and the reason that's important is because in order for the religious life to be at service to the local church, this can't simply be a convenient way for us to house clergy or an easy way for us to make sure priests don't misbehave or something like that, which is sometimes the way that it gets presented or talked about. It, it, it's an expression of our baptism in the same way or the same kind of way that marriage is an expression of our baptism. It was love that shook him. It, it, it's love that typically shakes someone up enough to, to dare to promise to be with somebody else for the rest of your life. And so it's love that, 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 that can shake somebody up enough to say, I'm not going to marry for the rest of my life and I'm not going to own anything for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to go anyplace else for the rest of my life. And I'm going to entrust my life in, in humble obedience to this guy who's not much less messed up than I am. That's monastic life in a nutshell. And, and so it was, it was critical, I think for Benedict to not be ordained so that this wasn't confused for something particular to orders. And that's the reason, you know, religious life has flourished in the way that it has not only for men, but really, and especially for women, right? Because it's not attached to orders at all. And so, and so the, the, the great heritage of women's religious life, especially that we come to know in this country with more active communities, is in some ways really only possible because of the back work that Benedict did 1,600 years ago. It's incredible how and a simple man can transform completely the monastic life first, and secondly, the spiritual and vocation life as well, you know, because the majority of us, I speaking. In, for myself, in terms of that vocation, is to be a priest, you know? But he wants to stay as a servant in a monastic scenario. This is why it's so deeply his spirituality in terms of this spiritual battle, you know? It's very traditional to use uh, his medal as instrumental to avoid any kind of evil attack. So, so, so the St. Benedict Medal, this is why I wanted to drive the point home about priesthood. The St. Benedict Medal is a very powerful sacramental in the life of the church in, in defending individuals against evil. Um, but it's rooted, not, it's not like we're trying to channel Benedict's priesthood after death. Like that, that's the whole reason it's important that he's not a priest. It's just his raw sanctity. Like a baptized person all by themselves, genuinely being faithful to the promises of their baptism, living out as best they can in the life of the church, the, the life that God's lived for them can chase the devil away and they can do it even after death. And the metal, the way that it's cast, right? It has it has these these um, Latin initials, basically, that are, are are directed not only to keeping the devil away, but keeping the wearer in the presence of God. 
And every time the church engages in any kind of deliverance or exorcistic ministry, that's the most important point is we're not going into battle with Satan. We're walking into the presence of God and no evil can abide that presence or that love. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Before the break, you have been explained to us the magnificent and efficient uh, designing a spiritual manner about this metal. But at the same time, the example of life from St. Benedict enlightens us how face this kind of spiritual attacks, you know? Yeah, so... I I think the best sort of example here is is the probably the most famous story about Benedict, which is that he was a, a rather rigorous taskmaster. He was he was stern with his monks, um, and at one point uh, in one of the houses, they got frustrated enough with him that they were tempted to poison him, um, and so they they poisoned uh, they poisoned his glass and 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 gave it to him, and. Famously, he, he realizes their deceit. He blesses the, 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 the glass and out slithers a snake. Now, it's not that there was a snake hidden inside the glass. The snake is meant to manifest the poison, right? But, um, but evil the, manifestation. The, the manifestation of evil and of the evil intent of the monks who were trying to kill him. I think in some ways, probably the most obvious part of the story is sometimes monks are so wicked, they actually try and murder their superior. So, you know, like, 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 uh, husbands who beat their wives don't have a market on domestic violence, but, but the reason I think this is significant for us sort of in our context is that, is that evil simply cannot abide the presence of holiness and holiness, holiness is only possible through faith, hope, and charity. So Benedict lived in such a way that his faith, his hope, and his charity his his personal relationship with the Lord Jesus and his his um, uh, communal relationship with the church was the most obvious thing about the man. And and evil just couldn't stand to be in its presence. Like it, it literally would slither away because they knew it couldn't do anything to him. And so today we rely on his intercession for the same. But more than just relying on his intercession to make sure we don't get gunk on our shoes, we should be imitating the same. We should strive for the same level of holiness. And following that comment in, in this in, in this Sunday liturgy, uh, St. Paul again uh, writing to the Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23 uh, said, Brothers and sisters, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are as nothing compared with the glory to the revealed for us For the creation awaits with eager expectation the revelation of the children of God. For the creation was made subject to futility, not of this of its own accord, but because of the one who subjected. In hope that creation itself will be set free from slavery to corruption and shared in the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that all creation is groaning in labor pains even until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves as we await for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Wow. So, so St. Paul is using an image that will be carried through the whole, it, it's at the base kind of of the church's imagination here, um, and becomes significant in the life of Benedict as well. Um, and that is of uh, maternity, right? So it, it's about birth giving. Um, uh, baptismal fonts, right, uh, evoke both the imagery of tombs, because one dies with Christ as one goes down into the waters, and also of wombs, because because one is literally born of water and the spirit. And so so when when Paul says that all creation is groaning in labor pains, he's literally saying, like, think those of you that have given birth or been been with your wife as they gave birth or even just like seen, you know, schlocky TV shows where you got the lady lean back, <laughs> that kind of business. Right. Like this is what's going on, that all of creation is sweating, panting, painting. And of course, the pains of childbirth are one of the first images given us in the scriptures, okay. right? So, so, so the pain attached to childbirth is attached to our own experience of sin, uh, which is why human beings seem to suffer in childbirth in a way that animals don't the same, right? Um, but what happens, right, is that, is that while creation is groaning in labor pains, we are waiting for adoption, so creation is in a certain sense giving birth and we're being adopted or grafted on onto Jesus's own body. We're coming to share in his life, not in a metaphorical or an exemplary way, in a real way. I saw just the other day, um, they've developed uh, new, new techniques for skin grafting for people that have um, suffered serious burns. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know what a skin graft is when a person has a serious burn. Well, they've begun using fish skin uh, to, to help people that uh, that have like real serious third degree type burns. Right. And what they do, just like they would do with human skin, but rather than taking the skin like from the back of your thigh, they'll take skin from a large fish and they'll and they'll not just wrap it around, but actually sew it onto and, and feed it with blood from from your body so that the skin grows. It looks real weird. The person looks kind of <laughs> like Aquaman. But of course, what it does is it, when skin burns away, the new skin covers the the, the soft tissue underneath and it gives it a chance to heal. And peop, the people that have their skin grow back, eventually they remove the fish skin so you don't have scales for the rest of your life. It, it looks like new. It's yeah. actually healthier skin than what they had before. It's almost like baby skin, right? Well, well the same kind of thing is what's going on here. So that, so that, so, so that we suffer... And the sufferings that we experience now are, are, are in a certain sense, burns. And then we're grafted onto Jesus's body. He's not grafted onto us. We're grafted onto him. And that and, and the, what happens is we don't wind up. It, it feels strange and new initially because it, it, it's not our natural environment. But we actually wind up healthier, better, holier than we were before. The language of first fruits is also important because the first fruits is, 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 is what are offered to God. And that's the goal here, right? Is, is to make sure we are a first fruits, a sacrifice offered in thanksgiving to the Father. Beautiful. Father, send us with your blessing, please. May the passion of the Lord Jesus and the merits and the prayers of the Blessed Virgin and St. Joseph, our Father in faith, St. Benedict, St. Paul the Apostle and all the saints, 
Grant that whatever good you do or suffering you endure, heal you all your sins, help you grow in holiness, and bring you to everlasting life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be not afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Be not afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Go forward and be not afraid. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid comes from Ball Team, your builder of all faith-based construction needs. Learn more at buildwithball.com.